Chapter Three A of The Sheik. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Perard. The Sheik by E. M. Hull. Chapter Three A. The warm sunshine was flooding the tent when Diana awoke from the deep sleep of exhaustion that had been almost insensibility, awoke to immediate and complete remembrance. One quick, fearful glance around the big room assured her that she was alone. She sat up slowly, her eyes shadowy with pain, looking listlessly at the luxurious appointments of the tent. She looked dry-eyed. She had no tears left. They had all been expended when she had groveled at his feet, imploring the mercy he had not accorded her. She had fought until the unequal struggle had left her exhausted and helpless in his arms, until her whole body was one agonized ache from the brutal hands that forced her to compliance, until her courageous spirit was crushed by the realization of her own powerlessness and by the strange fear that the man himself had awakened in her, which had driven her at last moaning to her knees, and the recollection of her abject prayers and weeping supplications filled her with a burning shame. She loathed herself with bitter contempt. Her courage had broken down. Even her pride had failed her. She wound her arms about her knees, and hid her face against them. Coward! Coward! She whispered fiercely. Why had she not scorned him? Or why had she not suffered all that he had done to her in silence? It would have pleased him less than the frenzied entreaties that had only provoked the soft laugh that made her shiver each time she heard it. She shivered now. I thought I was brave, she murmured brokenly. I am only a coward, a craven. She lifted her head at last and looked around her. The room was a curious mixture of oriental luxury and European comfort. The lavish sumptuousness of the furnishings suggested subtly an unrestrained indulgence. The whole atmosphere was voluptuous, and Diana shrank from the impression it conveyed without exactly understanding the reason. There was nothing that jarred artistically. The rich hangings all harmonized. There were no glaring incongruities, such as she had seen in native palaces in India. And everything on which her eyes rested drove home relentlessly the hideous fact of her position. His things were everywhere. On a low brass-topped table by the bed was the half-smoked cigarette he had had between his lips when he came to her. The pillow beside her still bore the impress of his head. She looked at it with a growing horror in her eyes until an uncontrollable shuddering seized her, and she cowered down, smothering the cry that burst from her in the soft pillows and dragged the silken coverings up around her as if their thin shelter were a protection. 
she lived again through every moment of the past night until thought was unendurable until she felt that she would go mad until at last worn out she fell asleep it was midday when she awoke again this time she was not alone a young arab girl was sitting on the rug beside her looking at her with soft brown eyes of absorbed interest as diana sat up she rose to her feet salaaming with a timid smile i am zilla to wait on madam she said shyly in stumbling french holding out a wrap that diana recognized with wonder as her own she looked behind her her suitcases were lying near her open partially unpacked the missing baggage camels had been captured first then she was at least to be allowed the use of her own belongings a gleam of anger shot into her tired eyes and she swung round with a sharp question but the arab girl shook her head uncomprehendingly drawing back with frightened eyes and to all further questions she remained silent with down drooping mouth like a scared child she was little more she evidently only half understood what was said to her and could give no answer to what she did understand and turned away with obvious relief when diana stopped speaking she went across the tent and pulled aside a curtain leading into a bathroom that was as big and far better equipped than the one that diana had had in the indian tent and which up to now had seemed the last word in comfort and luxury though the girl's knowledge of french was limited her hands were deft enough but her ignorance of the intricacies of a european woman's toilette was very apparent and constantly provoked in her a girlish giggle that changed hurriedly to a startled gravity when diana looked at her laughter was very far from diana but she could not help smiling now and again at her funny mistakes the girl with her big wondering eyes her shy hesitating french and childish curiosity in some indefinable way gave back to diana the self-control that had slipped from her her pride reasserted itself rigidly suppressing any sign of feeling or emotion that could be noticed by the gentle inquisitive eyes fixed on her the hot bath that took the soreness out of her limbs brought back the color to her face and lips she even tubbed her head rubbing the glistening curls dry with fierce vigor striving to rid herself of the contamination that seemed to have saturated her yet the robes against which they had been pressed were spotless and the hands that had held her were fastidiously clean even to the well-kept nails she came back into the bedroom to find zilla on her knees poring over her scanty but diverse wardrobe with bewilderment fingering the evening dresses with shy hands and finally submitting tentatively to diana the tweed skirt that had been packed with her other things for the journey when oran should be reached but diana put it aside and pointed to the riding clothes she had worn the previous day 
in them she felt more able to face what might be before her the associations connected with them seemed to give her moral strength in them she would feel herself again diana the boy not the shivering piece of womanhood that had been born with tears and agony last night she bit her lip as she stamped her foot down into the long boot she sent the girl away at last and noticed that she avoided passing into the adjoining room but vanished instead through the curtains leading into the bathroom did that mean that in the outer room the arab sheik was waiting the thought banished the self-control she had regained and sent her weakly on to the side of the bed with her face hidden in her hands was he there her questions to the little waiting girl had only been concerned with the whereabouts of the camp to which she had been brought and also of the fate of the caravan of the man himself she had not been able to bring herself to speak the strange fear that he had inspired in her filled her with rage and humiliation the thought of seeing him again brought a shame that was unspeakable but she conquered the agitation that threatened to grow beyond restraint pride helping her again it was better to face the inevitable of her own free will than be fetched whether she would or not for she knew now the strength of the man who had abducted her knew that physically she was helpless against him she raised her head and listened it was very silent in the next room perhaps she was to be allowed a further respite she jerked her head impatiently at her own hesitation coward she whispered again contemptuously and flung across the room but at the curtains she halted for a moment then with set face drew them aside and went through the respite had been granted the room appeared to be empty but as she crossed the thick rugs her heart leapt suddenly into her throat for she became aware of a man standing in the open doorway his back was turned to her but in a moment she saw that the short slim figure in white linen european clothes bore no resemblance to the tall arab she had expected to see she thought her footsteps were noiseless but he turned with a little quick bow a typical frenchman with narrow alert clean-shaven face sleek black hair and dark restless eyes his legs were slightly bowed and he stooped a little his appearance was that of a jockey with the manners of a well-trained servant diana colored hotly under his glance but his eyes were lowered instantly madame is doubtless ready for lunch he spoke rapidly but his voice was low and pleasant his movements were as quick and as quiet as his voice and in a dream diana found herself in a few moments before a lunch that was perfectly cooked and daintily served the man hovered about her solicitously attending to her wants with dexterous hands and watchful eyes that anticipated every need she was bewildered faint from want of food everything seemed unreal for the moment she could just sit still and be waited on by the soft-footed 
soft-spoken man-servant who seemed such a curious adjunct to the household of an Arab sheep. Monsignor begs that you will excuse him until this evening. He will return in time for dinner, he murmured, as he handed her a couscous. Diana looked up blankly. Monsignor? My master, the sheik. She flushed scarlet, and her face hardened. Hypocritical oriental beast who begged to be excused. She refused the last dish curtly, and as the servant carried it away, she propped her elbows on the table and rested her aching head on her hands. A headache was among the new experiences that had overwhelmed her since the day before. Suffering in any form was new to her, and her hatred of the man who had made her suffer grew with every breath she drew. The Frenchman came back with coffee and cigarettes. He held a match for her, coaxing the reluctant flame with patience that denoted long experience with inferior sulphur. Monsieur dines at eight. At what hour will Madame have tea? he asked, as he cleared away and folded up the table. Diana choked back the sarcastic retort that sprang to her lips. The man's quiet, deferential manner, that refused to see anything extraordinary in her presence in his master's camp, was almost harder to bear than flagrant impertinence would have been. That she could have dealt with, this left her tingling with a feeling of impotence, as if a net were gradually closing round her, in whose entangling meshes her vaunted liberty was not only threatened, but which seemed destined even to stifle her very existence. She pulled her racing thoughts up with a jerk. She must not think, if she was going to keep any hold over herself at all. She gave him an answer indifferently, and turned her back on him. When she looked again, he was gone, and she heaved a sigh of relief. She had chafed under his watchful eyes until the feeling of restraint had grown unbearable. She breathed more freely now that he was gone, flinging up her head and jerking her shoulders back with an angry determination to conquer the fear that made her ashamed. Natural curiosity had been struggling with her other emotions, and she gave way to it now to try and turn the channel of her thoughts from the fixed direction in which they tended, and wandered round the big room. The night before she had taken in nothing of her surroundings. Her eyes had been held only by the man who had dominated everything. Here, also, were the same luxurious appointments as in the sleeping room. She had knowledge enough to appreciate that the rugs and hangings were exquisite. The former were Persian, and the latter of a thick black material, heavily embroidered in silver. The main feature of the room was a big black divan, heaped with huge cushions covered with dull black silk. Beside the divan, spread over the Persian rugs, were two unusually large black bearskins, the mounted heads converging. At one end of the tent was a small doorway, a little portable writing-table. There were one or two Moorish stools heaped with a motley collection of ivories 
and gold and silver cigarette cases and knick-knacks and against the partition that separated the two rooms stood a quaintly carved old wooden chest though the furniture was scanty and made the tent seem even more spacious than it really was the whole room had an air of barbaric splendor the somber hangings gleaming with thick silver threads seemed to diana like a studied theatrical effect a setting against which the arab's own white robes should contrast more vividly she remembered the black and silver waistcloth she had seen swathed round him with curling scornful lip there was a strain of vanity in all natives she generalized contemptuously doubtless it pleased this native's conceit to carry out the color scheme of his tent even in his clothes and pose among the sable cushions of the luxurious divan to the admiration of his retainers she made a little exclamation of disgust and turned from the soft seductiveness of the big couch with disdain she crossed the tent to the little bookcase and knelt beside it curiously what did a francophile arab read novels probably that would harmonize with the atmosphere that she dimly sensed in her surroundings but it was not novels that filled the bookcase they were books of sport and travel with several volumes on veterinary surgery they were all in french and had all been frequently handled many of them had penciled notes in the margins written in arabic one shelf was filled entirely with the works of one man a certain vicomte raoul de saint hubert with the exception of one novel which diana only glanced at hastily they were all books of travel from the few scribbled words in the front of each diana could see that they had all been sent to the arab by the author himself one even was dedicated to my friend ahmed ben hassan sheik of the desert she put the books back with a puzzled frown she wished with a feeling that she could not fathom that they had been rather what she had imagined the evidence of education and unlooked-for tastes in the man they belonged to troubled her it was an unexpected glimpse into the personality of the arab that had captured her was vaguely disquieting for it suggested possibilities that would not have existed in a raw native or one only superficially coated with a veneer of civilization he seemed to become infinitely more sinister infinitely more horrible she looked at her watch with sudden apprehension the day was wearing away quickly soon he would come her breath came quick and short and the tears welled up in her eyes i mustn't i mustn't she whispered in a kind of desperation if i cry again i shall go mad she forced them back and crossing to the big black divan that she had scorned before dropped down among the soft cushions she was so tired and her head throbbed persistently she was asleep when the servant brought tea but she started up as he put the tray on a stool beside her it is madame's own tea if she will be good enough to say if it is made to her taste 
he said anxiously, as if his whole happiness was contained in the tiny teapot at which he was frowning deprecatingly. His assiduity jarred on Diana's new-found jangling nerves. She recognized that he was sincere in his efforts to please her, but just now they only seemed an added humiliation. She longed to shout, Go away! like an angry schoolboy, but she managed to give him the information he wanted, and putting cigarettes and matches by her, he went out with a little smile of satisfaction. The longing for fresh air and the desire to see what place she had been brought to grew irresistible as the evening came nearer. She went to the open doorway. A big awning stretched before it, supported on lances. She stepped out from under its shade and looked about her, wonderingly. It was a big oasis, bigger than any she had seen. In front of the tent there was an open space with a thick belt of palm trees beyond. The rest of the camp lay behind the chief's tent. The place was alive with men and horses. There were some camels in the distance, but it was the horses that struck Diana principally. They were everywhere, some tethered, some wandering loose, some exercising in the hands of grooms. Mounted Arabs on the outskirts of the oasis crossed her view occasionally. There were groups of men engaged on various duties all around her. Those who went by near her salaamed as they passed, but took no further notice of her. A strange look came into Diana's eyes. This was the desert indeed, the desert as she had never expected to see it, the desert as few could expect to see it. But the cost, she shuddered, then turned at a sudden noise near her. A biting, screaming, chestnut fury was coming past close to the tent, taking complete charge of the two men who clung, yelling to his head. He was stripped, but Diana recognized him at once. The one brief view she had had of his small, vicious head as he shot past her elbow the evening before was written on her brain for all time. He came to a halt opposite Diana, refusing to move. His ears laid close to his head, quivering all over, snatching continually at his grooms, who seemed unable to cope with him. Once he swung up on his hind legs, and his cruel teeth flashed almost into the face of one of the men, who was taken off his guard, and who dropped on to the ground, rolling out of the way with a howl that provoked a shout of laughter from a knot of Arabs who had gathered to watch the usual evening eccentricities of the chestnut. The French servant, coming from behind the tent, stopped to speak to the man as he picked himself up and made a grab at the horse's head, and then turned to Diana with his pleasant smile. End of chapter 3A